for our sermon this morning, if you would turn to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 41, and then we will read to verse 52, Luke 41, 241 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he became became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. And he went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand this statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The word of the Lord. You know, I I told you that uh, really, you know, I know Christmas is coming back in September. You know, Christmas is coming. And I try to think about how can I come up with some different Christmas sermons or that relate to Jesus. And last week we saw that Jesus has a backstory. When we say that Jesus' backstory is out of this world, remember he's like us in that he is a historical fact. He was conceived in the womb like all of us. He's born like all of us. He is just like all of us in so many ways. He needed to be cared for. Somebody had to feed him. Somebody had to tuck him in at night. Somebody had to give him something to drink. He had to sleep. He was born like all of us, but unlike all of us, he was a unique historical fact because he existed before he was conceived. You and I, we begin in our mother's wombs as a little bitty, tiny, little piece working. God works in that little, as those things begin to work in our mother's wombs. That's when we begin, but he began before time ever was. He was before creation. He's a unique historical fact. And he comes in the womb of the virgin by the power of the spirit. Last week we said that he's the word of God who was always there. Face to face with the father at all times. There with the father. And he is not just with the father, but he is God himself. The second person in the Trinity. And in order for him to save mankind, in order for God to fulfill His promises given all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and then even to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. He has to put on human flesh. 
So Jesus comes from God. Jesus comes from heaven to perform a very important mission. Last week we said the I have come statements tell us what Jesus came to do. Jesus says, I have come to call sinners to repentance. I have come to give my life a ransom for many. I have come to seek and save the lost. And for him to do this, he has to come in human nature. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate God's incarnation in this person we call Jesus. And through him, God reconciles him, uh, himself to sinners through Jesus Christ. Now, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus approaches the cross. And while Jesus is approaching the cross, remember, he separates himself from Peter, James, and John. He goes a stone's throw away. And three different times he says, my father. He says, my father. My father. He wants this cup that he's about to drink to pass away from him. And yet he says, not my will, but thine be done. He calls God his father at the very end. He calls God his father as he begins his ministry. But we see in our text in Luke 2.49 that Jesus calls God his Father for the first time in the Scriptures. The first time. He says this in Luke 2.49. He's talking to his parents. Did you, Mary and Joseph, not know that I had to be in my Father's house? Did you not know I had to be about my Father's affairs or in my Father's things? Did you not know this? And Jesus calls God my father for the first time in scripture in Luke two forty one through 52, Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus to Jerusalem to attend the Passover feast. He's 12 years of age. Once this whole celebration was over, the big caravan begins to go back home to Nazareth and they think Jesus is amongst all the others, but he's not. Jesus has stayed behind. And so after a day's journey, they realize he's not in the caravan and they begin to anxiously look for him. And they go back all the way to Jerusalem to find him. And there he is sitting in the temple. He's listening. He's asking questions. And Mary says these words, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. Sounds like a rebuke. But listen to what Jesus said. Why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? I say it again, in my father's house. Take note, Mary calls Joseph your father. And Jesus doesn't call Joseph his father. He calls God my father. I have to be about my father's business in the things of my father. I don't think he means it as any disrespect. You can go and look at the next part of the verse where it says that he goes home with his mom and his dad. And so for the next 18 years, he's at least with her the whole time. We believe that more than likely Joseph died before he reaches the age of 30. But Jesus says, I have to be in my father's house. And so this prompts a question. As I was reading, I told you I was reading these 400 pages about Jesus. There's a man who asked a question. And this is the question that he asked. When did Jesus become aware that God was his Abba? When did Jesus become aware that God is his father? Well, obviously he knew it at the age of 12. But when we don't know. I, I, I'm not going to be able to give you the exact answer. I just want to think about this with you. When did Jesus change from calling Joseph his father to calling God his father? Somebody might say, well, God, Jesus always knew that God was his father. 
Well, if we understand that God, the second person of the Trinity is God, and He's going to work through this human nature to accomplish salvation, that, that divine nature does not communicate any of its attributes to the human nature. That's, we do not believe that. How will God, the second person of the Trinity, work through the human nature to accomplish our salvation? He's going to do it by the power of the Spirit. But He won't do it by deifying Jesus' mind. Jesus is a human person. A God and a, and a man in one person. And He is going to work through this real body and this reasonable soul to accomplish our salvation. And so Jesus is going to have to grow up like us. Jesus is not going to have, I, I mean, I wish this is true for me. I really wish I could go. I wish there was a, a, one of these outlets and we, we could take it and stick it right here and stick it in the wall. And all of a sudden I know everything I need to know for my job tomorrow. I, I, don't you wish you had that? Don't you? I mean, Jesus doesn't have a little outlet that he takes and he plugs in here and he plugs into the divine nature and all of a sudden he knows everything he needs to know when he's 30 years of age. You with me? Now, I wish that was true. I wish, you know, sometimes you'd give me a little, that little flash drive and I see these guys in meetings, they walk around with their flash drive and they, they give it to this guy and all of a sudden he plugs it in and all of a sudden all the stuff lights up and he's got it all, he doesn't have to think. It's just all in front of him. But Jesus has to learn like you and me. So daddy has to take Jesus out and he has to teach Jesus how to hit a nail. I bet you Jesus hit his finger a few times because he wasn't, he was like us. He has to learn. So this prompts the question, when did Jesus become conscious in his human nature that God was his father? Now, let me give you a few thoughts before we move into this. When you start moving into territory that's silent, the Bible doesn't speak of, you need to be kind of careful. We know that Jesus was born. We know who his parents are. We know he goes to the Passover. We know that he submitted to his parents. We know he increases in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. But the rest is very silent from age 12 to age 30. It's very silent. But I don't think it's prohibited for us to think about how Jesus grew and learned because he was like us. And so we might take into consideration uh, his parents. We can take into consideration the home in which he lived with the siblings who were there. We could take into consideration the fact that he grew up in a village with all sorts of different people. And we could, uh, James Stalker, uh, one of the men I read, he talks about how Jesus was in a village and how he learned human nature by sitting there and watching people. We could talk about the landscape and the mountains and Jesus. I mean, when other, in other words, when Jesus' ministry comes along, he doesn't just for the first time start going into the mountains and praying. He already been doing that. At the age of 30, when the, bio, bio, the biography continues, we realize that Jesus didn't walk into the scene and go, now I know who I am, now I know where I'm from, and I know what I've come to do. He had to learn it for 18 years. He learns all of that. But when, how did he become conscious that God was his father? And so we have to think about this. At some point in time, he started calling God my father, and he stopped calling Joseph his father. At the age of 30, he steps onto the scene. He begins his ministry, and he knows all the answers to all those questions. When did Jesus become conscious of this fact that God was his father? Well, we can go through a whole lot of stuff, but I'm going to narrow it down to, to one thing and give you three points. 
I want to talk to you today about the education in Jesus' day. I think that'll get us there. I want you to see the education he received in the home, the education Jesus received in the synagogue, and I want you to see the education Jesus received on the streets. In the home, in the synagogue, and on the streets. Education in the home. The ordinary Jew in Jesus' day would have known his Bible. He would have known, he, she would have known her Old Testament better than we know our New Testaments. Those of us who read our New Testaments in the morning and in the evening, they knew their Bibles. These folks were being taught early on from the cradle all the way till the day they died. They were being taught their Bibles. One scholar says this, We must never assume that these folks did not know their Bibles properly. The men who wrote the scriptures, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter behind Mark, we have to understand these folks, they had this stuff oozing out of them because moms and dads were teaching them at home. If you go and read Mary's Magnificat, where she begins to sing her song after she hears that she's going to to bear the Christ, she begins to sing, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That immediately takes you back to 1 Samuel, where Hannah is, is uh, praising God. I don't know how many times in this one song she quotes Scripture. This is a woman who is bathed in Scripture. And I want you to think about Joseph, Joseph the righteous man. Joseph the man who's forgot, the forgotten man at Christmas time. Think about this man. This man has scripture oozing out of him as well. Everything you read about Joseph, he does everything according to the scripture. He loves Mary according to scripture. He follows and is led by God according to the scriptures. So his home is a place of education. Now, there's a word that we use in reform circles. Uh, Probably many of you may not have ever heard it before. I know that some of you have. I've talked to you about it. And it's the word catechization. Can you say that three times really fast? Yeah. Catechesis. What in the world am I talking about? Well, catechesis is the art of sitting someone down sounding out a doctrine in manageable portions and having that person, your son, your daughter, sound that portion back out to you in repetitious fashion until it becomes part of their heart. That's what it is. Sounding it out bit by bit, piece by piece, and having them sound it back out to you. The only way Cain and Abel knew that they were to bring God a sacrifice in the course of time is because mom and dad taught them to do it. The only reason that we find Abraham's offspring knowing the commands of God is because God told him to do the work of catechesis. Genesis 18:19 the Lord says to Abraham, he tells him, "Command your children and your household to keep the ways of the Lord," and that's what Abraham had to do. So we have adults who need to be taught. We have children who need to be taught. And here's what they need to be taught. Let me, let me give you a few things to get you there. We know the seed of Abraham grew into a great nation in Egypt. We know that Jacob goes with his 12 sons into Egypt in 70 to 75. They grow into a great, great nation. And we know that God sets them free through all those mighty acts of power and the blood of the Lamb. And here's what is going to happen. Moses is told by God to teach the people the art of catechization. 
He says, your children are going to come to you and they're going to say, what does this mean? And you are to say, it means this. (laughs) You are to teach them about the one true and living God. You are to teach them about the God who set you free from Egypt. You are to teach them about the God who led you through the Red Sea waters and crushed your enemies on their heads. You are to teach them this. What does this mean? It means this. That's what you're to do. And he tells them over and over, do not forget, do not forget. And Moses tells the people, he says, do this in a ritualistic sort of fashion. Do it in the morning. Do it in the noontime. Do it in the evening time. Repetition. Tell your children the answers to the questions. And sometimes you may just need to ask the questions and answer them for them. And do it, do it, do it until it becomes part of their hearts. The first voices that our children are going to hear are our voices, folks. There's a story in 2 Maccabees 18:10 and following, which 2 Maccabees was written in 160 BC before Jesus, and it's an account of a, of the persecution of the Jews during the reign of a man named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And in the book a father is mar- martyred And he leaves a wife and several sons. And the mother tells the children of their father's practice. This is what she says. Your father ordinarily would teach you the law. Your father would ordinarily teach you the prophets. He would teach you from the writings. He would teach you about Abel and Cain and Abraham's sacrifice of his son Isaac. He would teach you about about Joseph being thrown into the prison Phineas the Zealot, and the three Hebrew children. He would then be off to the prophet Isaiah. He would talk to you about David the psalmist, and he would end with stories and reflections on the Proverbs, the wisdom there in the Proverbs. This is the sort of home that Jesus grew up in. This is the sort of home that God called Israel to have. People bathed in Scripture. People taught bite-sized chunks over and over until they were part of their hearts. And this is the sort of home the Bible prescribes for us. Parents come to me and say, well, I don't know much. We'll join the club. I don't know much. I, I probably don't know. Compared to Peter, James, and John, probably don't know the Bible like those guys. You say, well, I don't know much. Well, join the club. I don't know much. I feel so far behind. Okay, join the club. I feel behind too. <laughs> but let me tell you something. Don't ever think, you 30-year-old husband or mom and dad, you 40-year-old dad and mom looking at your kid who's 10, don't ever think that they know as much as you. You can read your Bible to them. You can read a passage and you can stop and talk about it. You can read a whole book. You can read the, You can read and you can talk. Sometimes it's going to the catechism. Sometimes it's reading scripture. And sometimes it's just sitting at coffee and saying, okay, what do you want to talk to me about? And, they, and your kid looks at you and says, well, let's talk about this. Well, let's talk about that. And then you just open your Bible up or you tell them from your heart the things you know about that subject according to the Word of God. Maybe you know the passages to go to. Maybe you don't. Maybe you say, you know what? Um, I know the answer to this. I know the answer to this. But I don't know the answer to that. But I'll go find it. Because, see, I'm still in the game. I'm still learning. I am being catechized as well. And the, the Bible tells us in the Proverbs to say to our children, my son, my daughter, listen to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Jesus was educated in a home. Second, Jesus is educated in a synagogue. The synagogue was a place of education back in these days. And it was a place of worship back in these days. 
And those little boys and those little girls would go along with their parents. Do you remember what it says in Luke 14? Jesus read from Isaiah the prophet. And he says, this has been fulfilled in your presence. There were adults and children there. And these schoolmasters back in those days, they would work these truths into people's hearts. Josephus, the historian who was born in 37 A.D., this is what he says. He said it was more likely for a young boy to forget his name than to forget the scriptures that had been drilled into his head. (laughs) He was more likely to forget his name. This is the kind of education they were getting supplemental to their home education. And we must not underestimate the importance of what we're doing right now. As much as the world may underestimate it, as much as everybody might underestimate public worship, do not underestimate what we're doing. You right now, you are being instructed. You say to me, how in the world am I being instructed? Well, friend, listen, the Word of God is going over you. The Word of God is bathing you. Every part of our worship has been right out of Scripture and so you are being educated and you are being taught to come and to give yourself to, to God, give your heart to him and receive everything he has to offer to you. But there's another thing that we need to do here. And, and, and um, I've told you guys, I've got to take as an organizing pastor, I have to take three classes. And one of the classes is Reformed Evangelism. And so I'll be going to a class and I'll be flying out to Gainesville for this class. But one of the books I read is by a man named John Leonard. And this past week I was reading a story about how he loved deviled eggs. And so he says, my mom made deviled eggs for church. And he said, mom, I want you. He loves them so much. He couldn't wait until the the fellowship meal. He, he, He wanted those deviled eggs at the fellowship meal. Well, finally one day he said, Mom, would you make me some deviled eggs just for me in our house? We don't have to take them to church. And she said, no. And he said, why not? And she said, they're too much trouble. And he walked away and he started thinking. They're too much trouble to make for our family, but they're not too much trouble to make for for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his people at church. In other words, there's a sacrifice. He was teaching her, she was teaching her son that I'm willing to do things for God. I'm willing to do things for the people of God that I might not even do for you at home. Have you ever thought about that? Here I am, I'm saying, oh Lord, listen, I'm going to offer myself as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, I'm going to be sacrificial. I'm going to give myself to you. And now I want to give, I want to do something for the church. When all you people came out here and did this stuff we did out here, everybody that came out here and made hamburgers and we served 10 people, you were doing something that's great. That was not thinking about yourself. You could have been out at a ball game. You could have been laying down. You could have been watching a movie. But you did something special. You did something sacrificial. This is what we do, whether it's that or any, something else. But we do these things for each other. We say, hey, this guy, I need to get in there with that guy and battle with this guy and pray with that girl. So Jesus is educated in his home. Jesus is educated in the church. And you and I are to do the same. He's growing up and these things are working in his mind. And then I want you to notice Jesus Jesus was educated on the streets. Now what do I mean by Jesus being educated on the streets? Well, we all know this. You just need me to bring it up for a second. (laughs) 
Sometimes, if you ever notice, have you remember those days when you're a little boy, a little girl, and you're out playing with your friends and you get some education on the streets? I mean, you're out there playing football, you're out there playing baseball, you're out there hitting a wiffle ball, and the next thing you know, your friend filters down something that came from their parents. Their parents last night at the dinner table were talking about you, and they, and they say, you know, my parents think this about you. And maybe you don't like what you heard. <laughs> and so you go running home and you say, you know, after we were playing wiffle ball today, and uh, we were having this great old time, and then little Johnny, he looked at me and he says, this is what... Little Johnny's parents said about me, is it true or is it false? Have you ever learned things like that before? <laughs> During Jesus' ministry, there were times when people spoke derogatorily of him. Those three years in Mark 6, 3, somebody said this, he's the son of Mary. That's derogatory. He's the son of who? The son of Mary. In John eight forty one, the Jews are talking to Jesus and they say, we are not sons of fornication, like you. And it's, if this is what's happening in front of Jesus' face during his ministry, one commentator writes, he suggests that if these things happened in Jesus' face, they were not just isolated comments during his three-year ministry, but they were probably happening when he was a young man. It's not hard to imagine that one of Jesus' friends comes up and says, we know that you're not the son of Joseph. We know that you're the son of fornication. We know certain things. They could have said even words that we won't say from a pulpit. My friends are telling me Jesus comes to Mary and Jesus comes to Joseph that I'm the son of nobody knows who. This is hurting my feelings, mom and dad. <laughs> this is the education I'm getting on the street, mom and dad. Tell me it's a lie. Straighten all this stuff out for me. You know, recently in this past year, it's like, it's like, I, I'll tell you, Evan, other, my other kids, you know what they come and they say, Dad, did you know my friends, they don't believe in total depravity like we do? Would you help me with this? Dad, you know what? My friends, they don't believe in limited uh, atonement like we do. Would you help me work through that with me? Would you work through that with me? Would you talk to me about this stuff? This is what happens. We hear it. Little Johnny comes and says, my parents don't believe what Pastor Wheat believes. And so they get, they, help me, help me. Well, what does Mary and what does Joseph say when, they, when their little son Jesus comes to them? What do they say? Well, let me, say what I, let me tell you what I think they say. I think they say, all this stuff we've been treasuring in our hearts for 10 years. Maybe this started when it was 10, I don't know. All this stuff that we've been treasuring in our hearts Oh, Jesus, let me tell you, all the stuff that we talk about at Christmas time, they began to reveal to Jesus how the heavens opened up for a period of time and God began to visit his people. Mary and Joseph would look at Jesus and they would say, witness after witness came from heaven to reveal that you were going to be born. Listen, Jesus, Mary would say, you, I, I had the angel Gabriel come to me and this is what he said. And Joseph would say, hey, Jesus, the angel of the Lord came to me and this is what he said. And they both were told, we were both told to call you Jesus. And this, this is what they're doing. All of a sudden, pouring out all these things they've held inside. And there's more to it than that. 
There were shepherds in their fields by night. More angelic revelations are coming. These shepherds are in the field and there's one angel that comes and says, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then a whole host of the angels came along and began to sing glory to God in the highest. And we know all of this, Jesus, because... These men came and visited us. These men came and told us what they saw. These men went away glorifying God as they left. And not only do we have angelic revelations, but we have spirit-inspired revelations. Jesus, we could spend much more time talking about Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna. They all spoke about your birth. Do we have time to talk about the star that led wise men from the east all the way to the center of the world? And they gave you gold and frankincense and myrrh and how many other things I think I've left off Zechariah and his angelic visitation in the temple and so many other things. Jesus, maybe we have to tell you a little bit more next week. <laughs> right? Have y'all ever done this with your kids? I remember when I was a little boy driving back from Kilgore, Texas to Tyler, Texas, and my mom would sit in the front seat of that old green Impala. and We'd been sitting in the back and she began to tell us things about our family. And I just sit there like this. Jesus is listening to all of this. And then they add glorious designations. Jesus, listen, when heaven came down in those weeks, you were given dignity. You were given titles. Your name is Jesus. You will save your people from their sins. You were given the name Son of God, Son of the Most High. You are the, the one who's going to sit on your Father's throne, David, forever and forever. You are called Emmanuel. That means God with us. You come according to prophecy. You're the good news of great joy. You're the one that will bring Jew and Gentile together in one people. What did Jesus do with all of this? What did Jesus do with this education that was coming from him to him in the home and in the synagogue and on the street? Well, then he gets all this just outpouring of information from mom and dad. What would he be like? Got 18 years. What would he be like? My father's business. He begins to think about his father's business. What would he be like? Would he come according to contemporary expectations? If you go and you read some of what people were looking for when Jesus came as a Messiah, you'll see that they were looking for somebody that would take their, their, their feet and crush Romans' heads. The Romans' heads. Crush them down. Get rid of sinners. Crush them down. If you go read John chapter 6, they would want a Jesus, a Messiah, who would come and feed them food so they would never have to work again. Is that the kind of Jesus we're going to get? Is that the Messiah that Jesus will be? The first thing Jesus does when he enters into his ministry is he goes out and he's baptized. Oh my, what in the world was he thinking? He goes out and he identifies with sinners the first day of his ministry. In embryonic form, he's taking on the sins of the world at, from the very get-go. He's going to be a humble king. He's going to be a king who's mounted on a donkey and not a stallion till the bitter, till the end. He's going to, it looks to me like he's been reading Isaiah 52 and 53 and Zechariah 9, 9 and 10 where we see a shepherd king, a suffering servant. Oh yes, he's going to be a king. But first he comes in a cradle. Then he goes to the cross. Then he comes in great power and glory. Oh yes, we believe in Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 and Daniel 7. But first he would carry our sorrows. 
First, he would carry our transgressions and our iniquities and be pierced for them. He'd be crushed for our sins. He would be a guilt offering to please God. And peace would come to us as we put our faith in him. He will come again. And he will come with great power and glory. But today he continues to offer his broken body and his blood for us. He says, my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Folks, he says, take me. Take me and live. When Jesus called God my Father, these are the things that began to work in his heart. These are the things that began to dominate and be riveted into him. He came for sinners, to live for sinners, to die for sinners, to be buried for sinners, to be raised from the dead for sinners, so that sinners might become saints. So that sinners can pray, my Father and our Father. Can you call God your Father? Well, where does it start? It starts by being educated. It starts by being talked to. It, ta- it starts with parents taking manageable bits and pieces and sounding them out with their children. It starts by coming to worship and hearing these things sounded out in worship and with them beginning to sound them back out to us. We pray for the Holy Spirit to work these truths in our hearts and make us new creatures in Christ so that we might enjoy Christmas. As we receive Jesus Christ, we receive life and that abundantly through faith in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your, for your Word. We thank You for uh, getting to enjoy Christmas information, or as, as we call it, information about Jesus' birth and thinking about how truth would work in His heart and understanding that We too need your truth working in our hearts. So, Father, we pray. Praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, we pray that you would instruct our hearts that we might walk uh, with you by faith in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.